friends, welcome back to Operation Opera. On this episode, Elisa and I had a great conversation with Anya Berg, who is an agent and also a singer. Uh, she lives in Berlin and works for TACT Agency. She had some excellent insights about auditioning in Europe and auditioning in the States and the differences between schooling in each of these places. So enjoy. Yeah, Anna was talking about as a Russian native and a Russian native speaker, like wanting to sing Russian literature and being discouraged in the conservatory setting. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like this is me being unsatisfied with something that works. Does that make sense? Like, I'm always wanting to learn more and do more. I feel like this is why I chose, even though the voice sort of chose opera. Like, yeah, I totally understand that because um, the stupidest thing that I used to do is be like, well, I know my rapper really well, so here's a competition coming up. Why don't I learn something new so I can have a challenge? Right. So, <laughs> never do that. So you can do that, but don't, you know, that's like sabotage. But that's another topic. I think we can have another podcast devoted yeah. to that. But um, oh, we, um, we like to involve all the topics. <laughs> We're <laughs> all related. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, great. Yeah. So young people don't do that. Yeah, yeah, this is, yeah. FYI, <laughs> FYI, it's not the best decision. Uh, no. Yeah. no. Yeah, I had an audition on Tuesday um, where I had had a coaching on Monday for an aria that was a little bit shorter, the same role, but a shorter aria that's you know more appropriate potentially for you know, for an audition setting. And so I was working on it, but I thought that my coaching would be with a pianist and it wasn't, it was a vocal coach. So I was like, mm. oh, I don't need more of this. Like I have so mm. much of this, do you know what I mean? And and I got in there the next day with a pianist that I'd never worked with and we had no rehearsal time. And I was like, am I really going to start this out with an audition that I have never sung with a pianist? Like with a with a piece I've never sung with a pianist, and I decided no. I decided no. That's a bad idea. Even though it's a shorter piece, even it's even though it's more what they kind of want to hear, I'm going to start with the piece that I know really well. And it turned out that was a good decision. So I was really that was a moment of like like you're saying like in a competition setting or in the setting, it's like choose choose what you actually do really well, even though it maybe isn't as quote unquote challenging, right? I just always feel, or I feel now that it takes that kind of, that those kind of decisions, you know, you have to take them with certain background knowledge and you, it's also a learning process. Yeah. And as frustrating as it is, looking back, um, I wish I sort of learned it faster or I wasn't so hard on myself to put myself through those kind of, you know, challenges. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's uh, you made the right. You made a great decision. But for <laughs> example, you know, I've had situations in Germany where I got a call uh, a week before an audition, and they said, "Oh, you know what? Your resume looks like you could sing Triviata really well. Is that right?" And I said, 
Yes. Like, can you bring Estrano uh, when you come? And I've never sung because I was, you know, 27 years old. I'm now quite 26. And uh, Triviata was kind of like a future role. Sure. And I was like, yes. And then in <laughs> one week, I like, you know, freaked myself out and but learned it and went and I sang it. And I was like, my God, this is like the most stressful situation. But of course, it's sort of like doing the jump and jump pins and all these things but you know you're still doing a jump in you're already they want you but for an audition you know this you're they still don't know if they want you so if you prepare in one week a giant scene with you know with all these beautiful technical challenges absolutely um, you know you may want to bring something first to show something that is maybe like triviata that you think and then maybe a piece of it and say for this, if you want to hear more, I will come again. <laughs> Something like that. But this is looking back and, you know, learn, live and learn. I wonder yeah. what this has to do with too, because I'm contemplating this right now. I'm going to New York in a week to do an audition. And um, I wonder what this has to do with also trying to be all things to all people, you know, and sort of trying to be a pleaser. And because this is a tendency that we have, especially as women, but I think men have it too in some cases. And it's something I've struggled with is sort of, what do you need? You know, I can sing that, you know, <laughs> instead of instead of letting it really be about what I what I am great at. I, and I think it, I was sort of bred to be this way, especially in my graduate school experience where it was like, you gotta be ready to jump in. You know, you never know, you know, if you're in a show, but you're not in the lead role, you got to know the lead role so that, you know, something happens to the the person, then you can say, well, I know it, I can step in, you know, kind of a thing. It's a very backdoor approach to the art form in a way, you know, obviously we want to have opportunities to perform, but we also need to know ourselves and what we are really good at because there, are, there can be a lot of vocal fireworks and if the heart isn't in it, and then if the complete performer, you know, the complete story, the complete character isn't there, then it may not actually be as impressive as something like Jadi <laughs> or, you know, one of those arias that are, you know, not considered to be showstoppers, right? But in your wheelhouse, like, if it's what you do, then it's what you do. Right. And, th and they need Mikaela's. Carmen is done all the time. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh yes. Yeah. yeah. What do you What do you sort of see like with these young? So you mentioned that a lot of Anna. You mentioned that a lot of uh, singers that you're working with now are coming out of Russia, and you are, are they are they sticking with Russian literature for the most part, or or no? Well, I mean. I wanted to come back to what Alisa said yeah, yeah, about yeah. being a, ple a pleaser, uh, and this ties in into the Russian thing, I think. Um, one difference between, you know, us Americans, and I'm, I grew up in the States, just so, so my mentality, I, can, I have to clarify, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, when I say us Americans, is, I mean, what I mean is my mentality aligns with the U.S. way of living and thinking. And what I noticed about singers from the East side is that not only do they have confidence and um, good technique and stable, you know, stable technique, but they also have a certain way of still thinking of themselves as great artists that are important, which I think a lot of us in the West sort of kind of lost. It's kind of like you're replaceable if you don't know 
if you don't know one note or you made a mistake, you know, there's another like 20 sopranos that know the role and are willing to step in. And so you better like be scared and you're, you know, you're not that important because blah, blah, blah. So, but these people that I, I've seen, uh, they still have this kind of like, I mean, this could be also negative, but also a positive attribute that they still feel, you know, that they are one of a kind or are important and they're stars and, or in not maybe stars, but that, you know, kind of behavior, like I, I still, I'm valued member. Uh, was, yeah, I mean, the diva. And it could be very difficult, but it's not actually... It's this like inner core that they know they're not going to be doing it for to please anybody because they're important. And you know what? It sort of works. Yeah. Because if you're that good and if you're really a professional, then you are that important. Um, and I think I feel like they don't have that, uh, you know, the sort of pleaser mentality like like we are taught to have. Like they have they have the guts to say, no, I'm not going to learn whole triviata in one week that's not <laughs> going to happen but i can come and sing for you omio babino caro and then in a month it will come back or whatever i mean right. reasonable but you know but i just feel like there's more of that attitude they still kind of carry with them and i i don't mean attitude in the, in the necessarily negative sense but i think i know what you're talking about um so this last year when i was in austria and i was studying i did a little scene class and you know there were people from all over the world in this group and there there were a couple of russians and i tell you what when those girls got up there it was like are you ready for this i'm ready for this do you know what i mean <laughs> like it was this sense of of just complete ownership of what they were about to present uh and and like you said it's it's a it's a confidence that they have a gift and you are lucky enough to be here in order to witness it and to share in it with them and and it's not a negative thing because it's a it's a um it comes from a, from a a genuine place of knowledge and and commitment and it's like you know I've worked on this and and here it is and it's beautiful and other people respond in a way to that, I think that is really positive because you're showing like, look, I have something to give you and, and I'm not going to apologize for that. I, well, I think also it has to do with the fact that to get into conservatory in Russia, you're like, you know, they select only a few people per year. So these are already elite singers in their own right at the age of 18, 19. Yeah. So to be even in this environment, you're already a musical elite. So by the time they graduate and they move on, they, these people are looked upon as, you know, really masters of the art. When we go to, in this, to school in the States, there are so many people we're paying, you know, tuition for all the violinists and the pianists, right? right? So there's just so many singers and not everybody's great. Not everybody is a really singer, but they just want to learn how to sing. But you know, in the essence of a singer, maybe it's not necessarily there, but you you have the right to study and you study. You're just you're just kind of good enough to be that musical to learn to sing, which I think you know creates a, this just an overwhelming flow of singers, and some of them are talented, or more or less or whatever. But it's just it's just too it's almost too pedestrian. You know, there's so many singers in every conservatory. There's a vocal department, and 
what are the perspectives, but in Russia, in Russia, it's a little bit different, I think, approach also. So they kind of, just by getting into conservatory, you're already on a really good path to being, you know, an important artist. This is actually brings up another topic that Rachel and I have discussed addressing, which I don't know that we have, or maybe we've just touched on it maybe before on another podcast, but there is sort of the university as a corporation uh, going on here in the U.S., especially, I think, where, you know, all these schools of music are cranking out musicians who maybe don't, <laughs> maybe have an idea of how they could work, um, but it's not really open to them because of their skill level in the end. And so they need to find something else to do, um, and preferably within music, but what? And it's interesting. Um, I talked, I had this, this conversation with Nick Malice in New York. I used to babysit for them and this is Spiro and Marlena's son. And I would so I'd babysit their grandkids. And he said to me, because he was also a singer and, mm as he grew up and was studying. And of course the parent, the, the son of two opera singers, um, and, you know, was pursuing that as well. And he just said, you know, singing is a lot like sports in that it's really just the, the top percent or 2% or something of people who end up going on to do it as adults, you know, and as professionals, and, you know, a lot of people grow up doing sports, but they don't make a career out of it. And um, I, yeah, I remember feeling sad when he said that because I was like, everyone deserves a shot. You know, the American dream. Right. The American something. way. We all get a trophy. <laughs> dang it. We all get a trophy. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? And, mm -hmm. But the thing is, the, the universities are accepting, and I don't know that much about it. I, I do now teach at a college, um, which, by the way, has a more entrepreneurial entrepreneurial approach to music and to singers and encourages people to find their own voice and not just try to take this one track into opera mm. and classical performance where jobs are so scanty really they're, they're trying to teach them how to discover their own voice and make opportunities for themselves and sort of involve the community more it's a much more sort of that's great grassroots, mm -hmm. sustainable approach to music and to perpetuating this art form which if we're just waiting around for some opera company to give us a job, um, who knows how often that will actually happen. And it's not going to be often enough to keep us singing on a daily basis, you know, or unless we just have the discipline to, to just be in the practice room all the time. So, um, but what I was going to say is, you know, is it ethical for so many people to get music degrees when there aren't so many jobs in music? Or mm -hmm. how do we sort of reconcile the, this point that you brought up, Anna, about so many, so many voice majors. Well, I mean, what can I, I think it's ethical because it's still a democratic way. You know, if you want to learn to sing, then you go for it. If you want to pay, go to Manhattan School of Music and you want to pay 50 grand a, a year off or whatever it costs now, um, you know, more power to you. Um, in the end, I think, you know, surprisingly, most people that I grew up with throughout my musical education have found a way to be somehow involved in music. And most of them are semi-professional, which is to me so amazing. Some people became dentists or lawyers, but, which is also great, but then, you know, they have some other we need to, uh, you know, plan. Yeah. yeah, that's right. No, no. <laughs> but, but also, but somehow a lot of people, like really definitely more than I thought, uh, percentage-wise, are still 
working in music somehow. So it's actually quite amazing. A lot of the people I went to John Dornemann's program with in the early 2000s became superstars. Um, but people that I went to college with that were not, you know, maybe um, outstanding talents. I, I mean, they were talented. I'm not saying that they were not <laughs> They were not so extraordinary. They're not singing at the Met, but, you know, some have chamber singing groups or some are singing Baroque music on like a more or less local level. A lot of people are teaching, but they sort of stayed in the music industry. So the, the saying that everybody has a right to learn and to be in the industry is sort of true. You do have to identify or be realistic what your, what your potential is. You know, that's, that's actually a very interesting thing. I remember, I remember when I was applying for conservatories as an under, you know, for my undergrad and I had no idea sort of where I ranked in the world, you know, where I ranked as, you know, means of talent. I mean, I had an idea in my high school, you know, I was the only one that really sang or maybe one of like two or three people that really sang, but you know, that's, what does that mean? Right. And I remember, I remember at one point when I had been rejected from two or three conservatories, I was like, okay, if I get rejected from this last one, that just means that I'm not supposed to do this as my career. Like that just means mm -hmm. that I just don't have what it takes to really study this and to really become a world-class singer as an opera singer, as a classical singer. I didn't even really know what that meant. When I got the acceptance letter, I just remember feeling so relieved because I felt like, okay, this is, I am on the right path. Like I am doing, you know, the right thing. This is, you know, I'm, I'm good enough. Like I'm good enough to be taught at a level that is, you know, like an, at an excellent level. Um, and it was so interesting because when I went and I started school, I was like, wait a minute. And I listened to other singers and I was like, really? Like this is is this my level? Like it was, it was confusing because there were several people that I thought, are we all going the same way here? Do you know what I mean? Like along what the in, lines? Yeah. In what way? Well, there was just a big variety of talent and some people like there was some, there were some people. You're where, so diplomatic, Rachel. Just tell us. Well, no, because you see, I never know. I don't want to say anything that's going to hurt anybody or whatever. But like there were just some people where I was like, are you really a singer? Are you really? It didn't seem like it to me. But I then I thought, well, what do I really know? You know, and then I thought, OK, yeah, what makes you a singer? And and I think I think, Anna, your point about, you know, the democracy of it being that anyone who wants to study can like there is there is value in that but i think if we're training all of these people to be performers and all of these people to be thinking that they're going to have a career at the very highest level i think we're shooting ourselves in the foot as a society because there just aren't enough houses and jobs for everyone to be at that level and if they don't make it, are we creating an audience of people that are bitter? Well, here you just said if they don't make it. So what is making it? Right. What is making it? Is it singing at the Met? Is it singing at Covent Garden? Is it singing at, you know, any number of big opera houses with 
You know, is it being in certain young artist programs? Because that's sort of, I think, a part of the training that is the to the side. I, th- I just think I just think your perception kind of changes as a young, like young, hopeful uh, singer. You ambitious. You think making it is singer than that. But now that I'm a little older and I've been through some, I've seen and experienced some things. I just feel like you know what, making it is actually staying in music business and earning money. Anyway, music business, okay. I mean, that's a broad term. It's just staying in the music, making money and music, being professional. I think that's making it. And if I heard myself say this as a 23-year-old, I would be really angry with myself. Mm. But now I feel like, you know, as 30 plus, I feel like it's just my perception has changed because, you know, life moves on. And if you're still, if music is still in your life and you're able to live off of it with it I don't know how to say it within the art then you've made it yeah I mean I guess it just depends on like for example like I have a couple of girlfriends that I was really close to in college and one of them who we thought had like huge potential like for having a huge career it just never really sort of solidified for her and she is now no longer singing at all And it makes me really, really sad and a little bit angry. And then another friend stepped away from it for a long time and has now sort of brought music back into her life in a way that really suits her. And I love that because I think that that comes from a place of authenticity. But I get really frustrated when I talk to people who have the music in them and they've either forgotten or they have turned away from it because it's just too hard right? It's like what I wanted, I didn't attain. And therefore, I will just, you know, shut the door on this. And I guess at the end of the day, I can't, I really can't judge whether that's, you know, good or bad for that person. But I feel like it's not okay for me. You have now taken away this beautiful thing that was in the world and inspired me. And you've, and you've silenced it. How dare you? Like, that's how I feel. And maybe that's awful, but that's how I feel. Well, it's, it's kind of also very sweet. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, the reality is that, um, especially in the States, it's a difficult art form to excel in. And you really have to have all the stars align in terms of technique, charisma, connections, being seen, being at the right place at the right time, and having all these, you know... Uh, everything figured out and being really top, top, top. I don't know, Rachel, it's difficult. No, I just want to say that also you have to think about, you know, not only, even if you do make it now and you are singing at the top theaters, let's say, but you're not a big name, not a huge name, not like Nitriapko, yeah? Or Kaufman. Your career still has a very short life nowadays so you're probably not going to be singing into your 50s right so as a singer starting out you have to realize not only are you not going to make as much money as the sportsmen make if the professional ones the top two percent or however many but you're also you're not going to make that that kind of money but also and you will also burn out pretty early Hmm. just Hmm. because of the system so there are a lot of things. Then you have to think to yourself, oh my gosh, I'm 42 years old and I'm not getting work anymore. So did I make it or am I, am I a failure? Yeah, and and 
when you say you burn out, like, or, you know, it just sort of dries up or like, can you talk a little bit about the cause of that? Or Elisa, do you want to ask your question first before? We do that? Oh, well, maybe, and maybe it will dovetail. Um, the, you said that it's harder to make it in the U.S. than it is outside of the U.S. I just wanted you to expand on that a little bit. Oh, that's not good. Not at all. I, what I meant was that in the U.S., it's just enough repertoire being performed. You guys mm. have a lot of theaters. Yeah. Let's say I'm also saying we because I, I am an American. <laughs> yeah. I have to keep saying that. But I, but I also am saying we too, now that I've lived in Germany for so long. So this is very confusing. But uh, American <laughs> theaters, so America, I'm also as confused as everybody else. American <laughs> theaters just don't just, just do not do enough repertoire. I mean, uh, we've got the for, top 10 and then we just keep recycling the top 10 over and over again. <laughs> no, but even the amount of performances, you know, right. there's only most theaters have four to five productions per year. Yeah. And that is just like not any kind of you cannot have a, just you're not casting enough people. You don't even have enough repertoire to cast. I mean, it's just not enough stuff going on. Yeah. Whereas in Europe, you have repertoire theaters. So we have lots and lots and lots of different, different productions. I mean, it's just the amount of operas being put up is just so different. So it's not that it was, it's not that it's hard. It's not that it's harder to get a job. It's just that there's not a, just the amount of operas is not performed. So you can't be, you know, uh, in a fixed engagement in a theater in the States because you're there for only four operas. It doesn't work. What is it? What's the climate like outside of the U.S.? Is it more, more smaller things? At, at 2008, which was a huge turning point with the economy here, some opera companies closed entirely. And then some just reduced their season. So whereas maybe they were doing five, now they're doing three shows a year. And then some also just decided, okay, we'll do two operas and one operetta or even musical, like legit yes. show. Mm-hmm. Say in Berlin, like what are what are you experiencing over there or um, or in Russia? Maybe. So did you did you live in Russia then, or you grew up your whole? I grew up in the states. I grew up in the states. Um, but I can tell you. I mean, I don't know exact numbers because it's a lot. <laughs> That's okay. Just ballpark. But um, uh, for example, I mean, uh, we do opera ballet usually here. We again, Germans, they do opera ballet together sometimes. Um, sometimes they do include musical theater, but it's not like three operas in one musical theater. For example, in, I think in Wiener Staatsoper they do fifty-four different works of opera per year, approximately Whoa. something like that. Like. Besides that, they do several like different ballet programs. You know, five to ten per year, plus matinees, concerts, special events, um, chamber music matinees, and other things. Children's opera performances. There's something going on at the opera house almost every day in Vienna. In Berlin, we have in in Vienna. They also have there's several. There's the Vienna Staatsoper, but there's also Theater in Berlin. There's Volksoper. There's also Operetta House uh, of some sort. I'm not very well familiar with what there is, um, of course. And in Berlin, we have three opera houses, the Komische Oper, which is run by the genius director, um, Regie uh, Berikowski from Australia. It's fantastic. Okay. Um, and then we have um, Deutsche Oper Berlin, which is like, I guess, it's more of, I would say, towards the classical big, big house. And uh, Staatsoper, the state opera house. So we have three major houses just in the city of Berlin. And if you can believe it, a lot of the 
performances are sold out on any given performance day. It, sometimes you have a really hard time getting tickets. Uh, for example, uh, the last show I saw, well, the last show was yesterday, I saw André Chenier, which was phenomenal at the Deutsche Oper Berlin. It was really great. Some We had, um, from my agency, we had a wonderful baritone singing, and it was just spectacular. Yeah, I mean, it's one of like 50 productions per year. I mean, there's some, today they're doing Tosca at the Deutsche Oper, and you know, this year, there, uh, tomorrow will be something different. It's just, there's just so much stuff. And during the day, there were there was ballet and there was a children's opera today and yesterday. So there's just so much stuff going on. There's a lot of people that are being employed. Of course, it's also different because it's partially state-sponsored. I mean, a lot of it. But people want, people want to pay for it because people go to this. People want their taxes to go to arts because people enjoy it and they go to it and they use it. And... People are really passionate here. The audience members, you know, yell bravos or boos after arias after if they don't like productions. And I mean, they, people are really they clap, they clap like, forever. That's the thing that boggles my mind. I was like, man, people, they're still clapping. That's yeah, if they great. Like it. Yeah, if, if they, they don't like it, sure. It, if they don't like it, sure, sure. <laughs> this is not like in the States, we always give standing ovations. It's like, right. you, it's like a, you know, a trophy for participating. Right. Okay, great. We, we, it was good. Let's get up and stand. No, people we're, here. I mean, we're getting ready to leave anyway, so it's kind of on our way to where we're going. Exactly. Anyway. We'll so I'm going to stand up, up clap just... a couple times, and then go. Right. <laughs> oh, that's that's kind of how I feel, especially when it takes a long time for people to stand up. They're just like, "Well, we're we're leaving anyway, so let's just stand up and keep clapping, and then we'll go." <laughs> oh my God, that's so great! I never even made that connection. <laughs> it's terrible. Well, when they've already been clapping for a minute or two, and they're like, "Okay, well, let's stand up now." <laughs> I mean, if I feel oh like God, you're right. this is worthy of, of a standing ovation, I will stand up immediately yeah, you have when to. it's time to applaud. Yeah, you have to stand, stand up immediately. <laughs> because if you don't, then it's just like, oh, I just wanted to get my coat and I was tired of sitting. <laughs> oh, you guys. Lori. Okay. So that's, there we have it. It's mystery, mystery solved for me. <laughs> yep. So you can't compare, of course, if you do 50 operas per season or you do five and one of them is a musical theater. Right. Right. Will you, for my benefit, Anna, will you just tell me a little bit about your background? I don't know if our listeners have heard that yet. Rachel, did you cover that before no, we, I came No, we kind of just jumped in and and talked a little bit about um, some early, like my experiences this last month. And yeah, so that's great. Yeah, let's talk about oh, that. Well, I'd like to hear about that too. Sorry, I missed it. But yeah, Anna, please tell us, tell us where you're from. You said um, you're from the States. I grew up in the States and I uh, sort California? of always... No, I did not grow up in California. That would be nice, actually. I never lived near the ocean. Um, I grew up in in Midwest, in Michigan. And when I graduated high school, my parents were not, they did not want me to do music because it was not a career you can, you know, make living in. And of course, I'm a parent of a child of immigrants, so this was really not great. But that, uh, yeah. So uh, I went to I got into University of Michigan and I started studying business administration and uh, art history. But I really was really I was sure that I need to do music. And after a year, my mom, my parents happened to have a really good friend from in Boston who was a Soviet mezzo soprano, quite a famous singer back in the 60s, uh, Nina Isakova. She was friends with Vishnevsky and Rostropovich. She was in that circle. She was a soloist at the Bolshoi and um, uh, Stanislavsky Mirovich Danchenko Theater in Moscow. She 
was quite a wonderful lady. So my mom said, well, let's call her and you can go to her, to go sing for her in Boston. And if she likes you, then I don't know, you still can't study music. <laughs> no. Okay. But, uh, no, but I, I, I went and she said, oh, you shouldn't do business. You really need to do this. And she's, you know, she was also a pedagogue in Moscow Conservatory for, you know, 30 years. So she kind of, when she said that, I thought, wow, maybe I do, like my, I had an instinct to study music. Long story short, I ended up moving to Boston. I got a degree uh, in opera performance and I was advised, and I think badly advised, not to do a master's, but to try to go to young artist programs immediately because I was pretty solid. I studied with my teacher and uh, she gave me good technical background. And I, I think at the time, if I were, if I was smart enough and if I realized that I'm not too young. I would have, and I, I should have been brave enough to actually seriously focus and follow up. Instead, I, I sort of kind of, I want to say half-assed uh, because I thought, oh, I'm talented and I'm really good, so they'll take me. But it proved to be kind of harder and I didn't get into Young Artist Program until I was 26, I think. And I went to Virginia for a year. Um, and, uh, and how was that? After, oh, it was good. I got to do... Butterfly and Mimi and Fior de Ligi. Oh, it was great. it was really like it was really great actually. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. Um, had really good colleagues. And uh, afterwards, uh, meanwhile, I was I sort of was in this John Dornemont circle, uh, and uh, I went to Berlin to meet one of the directors that I worked with in, in Israeli program, and I ended up meeting my future husband. So. Yeah. It brought me, that is basically how I ended up being in Berlin. And I, uh, after Virginia, I came to Berlin, got married, and I thought, okay, well, now I have, you know, I'm really good. I have background, I have like work and all the stuff, so I can, getting a job here shouldn't be a problem. I was wrong <laughs> uh, because um, because uh, in the end, I'm a lyric soprano and you do have a lot of competition. You also really need to have connections here. Um, you also have to be really outstanding because, I mean, you're, it's a really big competition and it's just not, it's, it, how can I put it? You're competing with the whole world here in Germany. So it's not that easy. And also to get auditions, you have to go through filters, agents. So filters... Are have their own taste and et cetera, et cetera. And there's so many aspects that go into it. And in the end, I, I, you, you don't even get to do the right amount of additions for your odds to be good. Do you understand? So yeah. in, in, in the end, you're not even, you can't even get to sing for all the people you want to sing for because you have to go through several layers of filters unless you're a tenor or like an outstanding tenor. Right. So Tenors, I mean, I'm painting... <laughs> No, but I'm painting a dark picture, but it's not, it's not, it's not necessarily like that. It's just uh, another way is to be really great at competitions because in Europe competitions count a lot and a lot of agents, a lot of the filters, they come to the competitions and then you don't really have to do this whole, you know, the grind, which is actually quite miserable and really mostly leads you to, or rarely leads you to where you want to be. That's my background. And after I did get a job and I hear uh, as a soloist with an orchestra and I was singing a lot of Mozart uh, for, for three years, it was really great because I, I, I ended up having a, becoming a mother. 
which was a conscious choice. And I thought, uh, because I always felt like I was also putting my life on hold for singing, but my my expectations of where I am supposed to be were not met, sort of. So I thought, you know what? No, I'm not going to, I'm going to be smart and I'm not, finally, I'm going to be smart and I'm not going to put my life on hold anymore. Mm. I wanted to start a family, we started a family. And then I slowly decided that I'm going to change into the business side of it. And um, after somehow the universe turned me into meeting several people that led me to work in an agency. So now I work for oh. a really wonderful um, oh uh, artist agency oh called Chat. Actually, I, I've, I've been contemplating about it for a long time because I'm also, I was approaching the age where I thought, you know, what, my, I just, I need to be more pragmatic about this. So I kind of recalled my University of Michigan days and I thought maybe I will target that string now and see if I can combine my expertise and my really good ear uh, and try to get into the agency business, agent, you know, artist agency. And so far I've been doing it for several months now and I find it extremely interesting of course a singer is always a singer but I'm, i i like what i do now well. mm-hmm. it's very rewarding what do you find like what was sort of like the biggest change for you like being on the other side of the table um, rachel the attention of course you know i am always the center of attention and now i'm not mm. <laughs> Yeah, but I find I find ways <laughs> to have to get creative now. But. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I love it. Wear a flashy scarf, you know, something. So, how long have you been doing that now? Then, lots of sequence. Um, uh, so, I'm not even kidding. I have the most fabulous sequin jacket I got in New York. But this is a whole. This is another podcast. Also yeah, for this fashion, yeah. fashion in the yeah, opera world. No, secret death. It's like yes. it weighs, I don't know, 10 kilos or something. So oh, wow. It's like an armor. <laughs> Anyways, this is fabulous. And by the way, I wore it in opera. And that was awesome. great. I felt like the queen. Yes. Or a disco ball, whatever. Anyway. Yeah. I, just, I so, just turned around in a circle and everyone, you know, just started to dance. I don't know. And everybody clapped and yelled bravo. Yes. Yes. So I started, I met a, a lady and we wanted to start our own agency, which we, we did um, last February. And I still had concerts oh. that I had to sing. And then um, I finished the concerts and around the same time, this lady said, you know, Anya, I have another project that I want to take. And she had a, a sort of a bad orchestral management deal that she made and she couldn't cut that last so she had to take on another project and I thought okay do I want to continue with my with an agency on my own I literally like am naked in the world of German opera it would be and she was German so that would be helpful of course um but I thought okay well I made this decision so I'm gonna try and I tried and I you know kept going to auditions and trying to network and meet people and I met um an agent from the agency where I'm at now and we kind of talked a lot and then we met and he said we had this nice conversation the next day he called me and said and you know I don't know if you're interested in this but we have an opening at our agency to work with a managing director it's not it's not working directly with singers but this is like more business side maybe I don't know if this is something you would be interested in and I said okay Alex well um 
let me think about it. I'll call you back. And in my heart, I was like, that is so stupid to say no. Of course, of course, I want to work in the, in, at an established agency and learn. I never want to be on my own and be like one of those. I mean, maybe one day, but not, but you I never want wanted to establish to start. yourself first. I course. wanted to be, yeah. yeah. I mean, I want to, to also learn, learn to learn and not to, you know, again, not to get all bruised up from 10 years of trying and learning the hard way. Yep. Right. Yeah, so finally I made a smart decision. <laughs> and that was, that's, that's, um, I, I switched to them after the summer when the season started. This season, this is the first season I'm with them and it's, it's great, very interesting and eye opening. And um, I don't know, it kind of uh, helped me. This work now sort of is helping me make this transition also because of, of the things that I see that I didn't see as a singer. Hmm. What what are some of those things? Would you say? I have no idea. I knew you. Were, I knew you were going to say that. But I actually. Uh, <laughs> uh, how to say, say diplomatically, what, right? How to say diplomatically yeah. without putting myself down as well. First of all, I realized that really at some point, uh, you one is too old, and people are not going to be interested because there's a younger person. That was one thing. Another thing is opportunities and or uh, actually this is the, but this is all this is maybe secondary because it's all like maybe up to chance but um there is a lot of ageism in Europe by the way so just so people don't get offended about when I say too old I'm really talking about myself but there is ageism <laughs> one of the things is that I realized that when you're really an outstanding singer and you're in the right place and the right person hears you and he wants to help you make a career uh, they will help you, you know, organize your repertoire for the and guide you for competitions to get you to be seen in the best light. I mean, I, I felt like I never had this advice. I was always on my own. And I really like really, truly, honestly banged my head against the wall for 15 years. And everything that I did, I really, really did on my own. And a lot of the people who get ahead so far are not on their own. That's right. They have nobody they is have who support. makes it. That's right. No, that's right. But they have a business team, and it's this is a business first and foremost. Uh-huh. And they really have a business team, and they do things strategically, pragmatically. It's not, you know, oh, you know what? I really wanted to learn Don Elvira's area, so why don't I sing it for the first round of the Met competition? I mean, this is like nobody would ever advise to do that because this is not a school experience. This is a business and you're trying to sell yourself as a product. And as a singer, even though I may have heard this before, you just don't accept this information, maybe. You're like, well, I'm an artist and I have a great voice, so they're just going to hear my voice and die. No, (laughs) no, that will never happen. Yeah, because at the end of the day, they're looking at how do we market this person? And if you aren't presenting something that is marketable, I mean, you're not presenting something marketable and they won't be able to do anything with it, right? That's right. Well, yeah, that's right. Very few people that get this really great advice from when they're really young and when they really, you know, as I said before, I mentioned when I was 23 years old, I should have taken advice and went to somebody who can actually help me. Uh, I just did not even realize what the business was like. On top of that, everybody was saying, oh my gosh, you're so young. You have so much time. 
That is the biggest lie. It is, is isn't it? It's the big <laughs> because lie. you're the it's young, just... you're so young, and then all of a sudden you're old, and you're like, wait, 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 where was the sweet spot? I missed it. I just feel like whoever, <laughs> whenever somebody says that, just turn around and go to the next person who is at another level, because that's just not true. Never get, never listen to that advice. Yeah, I had a conversation with a with a girlfriend who's 29. And she's like, you know, they keep saying, I keep singing for people and they keep saying, well, you know, you're just a little too young or, you know, da, da, da. And I just said to her, BS, like, who are these people telling you that you're too young? Like, just because, no, there's no, like, there's no question. She's 29. She's, ready. she's 29. The voice is ready. Like, the voice is ready. I was listening to her sing Rossini and I was like, what the heck? Like, you can... You know, it's even and it goes up into the moon and like, you know, she's just beautiful. And I just thought and it was a and it's a unique sound for a soubrette, you know, call her tour singer. And, you know, she has a little bit more meat in the voice. And I really like that. I, I think it's beautiful. And I just thought, who is telling you this? This is really why? bad advice because I can tell you this right now that there are agents who will not consider a 29-year-old uh, person with no relevant experience because she's too old with no experience. Yeah. At 29, you should have already worked for two years, three years professionally. Yeah. And that's not something that they're teaching you, you know, when you're graduating. Like, it's interesting. Like, So here's the conundrum that I come up against, which is that you know, when I was, when I graduated at 21, I was like, okay, there's too many people and there's not enough jobs. I remember thinking that, you know, before I even graduated, because I went to a few auditions and I was like, there are literally 70 sopranos on this list. Like, there's no way that I'm going to get hired. And, and I just thought, okay, I'm going to move out to LA and I'm going to try and do some things that kind of combine my love of these art forms, you know, as, as a, as an actor and as a singer. And it's so interesting because as I was working as an actor, I felt myself just the pull back into opera, like into strict opera. And it's so interesting for me because I feel like as much as I've tried to do so many other things, this art form continues to call me back to it. And I don't know what to do with that sometimes, right? Because it's like, well, what if, but I, I think that your, your comments earlier about, you know, finding your own way, which I think is what all of us have to do in the end, regardless of whether we're singing at big houses or not, you know, when, even when you are, you still have to figure out your own way, but you have to define what success is based on the truth that is in you, right? Yeah. Not, not based on what anybody else has said, because that, that's not relevant. I, guess. I just I think it's I guess it's really hard when you're a young inexperienced person to understand what is the right advice and what isn't. Yeah, I, I think for sure. and to, to, to decipher who says the truth. Yeah. And um, especially because the truth can be really hard to hear. And I think our egos are really fragile when we're young. <laughs> They're still probably fragile now, but mm-hmm. you know it's it's hard to hear the truth. It's hard to to take that advice, I think, as a young person too. Whether it's good advice or not, it's just, I don't know. Or or sometimes we take things too much to heart when it's bad advice. I don't know. It's just, it's tricky. Life is tricky when you're young. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I don't know. Does it get easier? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We're still, we're still pretty we're still young. So, you know, like, yeah. 
I mean, also, but it's sometimes you know this advice you give it to a person, and then it's, they prove you wrong. So it's it's just also it's kind of hard. But advice like things that when people say that are cliches about being too young, for example, is definitely bad advice. I can say that right now. There's like there's no way that could be good advice unless it it unless it applies to technique or role. Then it's a whole different story and a whole different subject. Um, if you, I mean, if you're like, you know, trying to sing head and tenor and you're, you know, what I mean, like a young yeah. person out of college is not too young to start right. looking for. Yeah, I was just reading a little bit about Régine Raspin because I featured her on my little newsletter and she was saying, you know, she was born with this big voice and she was singing these big roles when she was like 23 and yeah. 24. And I just thought, you know, we have been fed this lie especially in the States that, you know, you can't sing that because you're too young in such a way that it makes you feel like you are less than because you are young. Well, here is like when, when like a good agent, if you're singing the stuff well enough, I heard so many singers come from the States that sing like two facts about what they should be singing, which is so strange to me. I don't remember this tendency at all, but especially since our house is going to be on the bigger side. So why are you singing with this huge wobble of Wagner when you're like a lyric or a subred? But um, if, you, if you are indeed a big voice, big romantic or classical uh, repertoire, then maybe you can get hired in a theater to do smaller roles so that you're not you're not blowing up your voice at 22 singing Isolde, but you're doing smaller comprimaria roles, which teaches you to be on stage, teaches you to be with the orchestra, all these things, but you're not, you know, you don't have the pressure of doing the big parts yet. And that's when a good agent comes in if you, if you indeed are a good pairing, let's say. Yeah, no, that's, that's, I think that's really, really solid advice about, you know, being able to find someone that sees where you are, sees Mm -hmm. where you can go and has a path for you to get there. You know, and I think about, when I think about a lot of agencies that, you know, charge big retainer or PR fees and, but it's not a big enough fee for them to actually work for you but it's a big enough fee for them to make enough money if they have enough singers on their roster to sustain them in between times when their one or two big names on their roster are bringing in a good enough paycheck to give them something back. I feel like it's, it's a crime. It's a real crime because they're not actually in it to build a career. They're in it to um, build the careers of the couple of people that are actually going to make it on their roster. And then the rest of them are just there to help sustain them. That's that's how I feel, and maybe that's wrong, but that's that's how I feel. I mean, I don't. I know in the states people you get charged retainers, but I don't really. I really don't like it, and I don't know if I would like it if I was still singing and was offered because I feel like that's not really a fair trade-off. I'm. What am I paying for if I'm not actually getting work? And if you need to charge me retainer, do you not believe that you can sell me? So you can right. live live off of the commission fees. Right. Because the commission fees, that's the whole point, right? Is, you know, this is why you fight for me, because you believe in me enough to get me work, to help me. Exactly. Otherwise, work. but otherwise, why you, or what is the relationship? What are you even promoting then if you're not the one getting me work? Right. So I don't know. That's, that's another topic, though. In Germany, you, is. as a rule, you do not get charged retainer fees. 
Yeah. Are there a lot of agents and agencies? I mean, well, I say that, but I just sent off 150 things. So there are a lot. <laughs> there are um, a lot. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And there is a there is a national one, isn't there? A national agency that their job is to try and help singers find work. You're talking about Zaf? Oh, it's like Tetafao, uh, uh, yeah. yes. It's Abad's Agentur. Um, they Tetafao. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's like a, unemployment, but also for musicians because when musicians are employed, we can also apply for benefits here. Uh, so Tetafao is it's it's a sort of a government it is a government agency but they uh, mostly they do a lot of jump-ins so if they have a singer that's unemployed but has sung but comes you know from the theater and then now he's like for uh, out of job for a year but he has a big resume of all the repertoire he learned while being fast he's he goes on file he sings for the people they say great we will have you on, on our file and then when the theater is desperate and they call several agents or, you know, they call them also, the Tetafao, and they look, go through their list of who who sang this role and they call this person who who's on the list. Yeah, so it's mostly mm-hmm. for, I'm for 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 last minute uh, jump-ins. Right. They Rachel, do have you not that... sung for them yet? No, I didn't. When I went there, I didn't, oh. I didn't get a, yeah, I didn't sing for them. Yeah, I guess for this to be a good relationship, Tetafao usually does last minute auditions. Anyway, they're not the first people usually to find out of an opening. Um, right. So you're, it really, if you're singing for Tetafao, it's really meant for German or for people who live here. I mean, you can get an audition next week. Are you really going to fly from California to sing? Um, no, maybe. Actually, I've done it before. I mean, I, yeah, I, it's so interesting. Yeah. But they I, may I mean, not consider you because they will say, sure. well, she doesn't live here because it's a right. government agency. And in the end, uh, German singers have um, priority, sure. priority because it's just government sponsored agency for people who are Germans. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. my experience with singing for them was um, they were very kind, but it's sort of, it's sort of, it reminded me of government agencies here where they're just sort of, it's not really motivated by the same, I don't know, they're sort of slow moving, they're sort of conservative, they're sort of, you know, and they don't, they aren't the first ones to hear about openings. Um, and most of the offers um, that I got were for chorus positions, actually. Um, I don't think they ever sent me anything that was a soloist, which chorus play, pays great in Germany, you know, if that's what you want to do, if you want to do chorus, great benefits, good pay, sometimes better pay than for the fest contracts. But mm-hmm. um, but that wasn't what I was looking for. So, um, well, I can say that I, I worked with Sadafa a lot actually, and they they I always got I got to I I even got one jump in from them, but I got uh, so I definitely got auditions for theaters. They were not top theaters, but they were you know for little little fast positions. So mm-hmm. I think it depends who the agent is who's listening, yeah. which how lucky you are, yeah, or yeah. unlucky or unlucky, yeah. Depending. This has been awesome. Like a lot of really good information and cool stuff to think about. And yeah, yeah I, I think for me, like the big takeaway is really being honest with ourselves and really listening to ourselves, right? About like what we actually need and where we actually are and trusting those instincts because 
and really being careful, obviously, about who you trust in the industry, because you may end up, you know, taking a lot of time developing something that, you know, maybe isn't right or, or, um, jumping in when you don't need to. Like, I actually, I mean, half off to you on your four, like <laughs> for jumping in and doing, and doing Violeta with a week, you're like, yeah, yeah, I can sing Estrano. Sure. <laughs> It's insanity, but it was also <laughs> exhilarating. Yeah, right. But that's how I and got this orchestral job, job as well. They they said they called me and said, "Can you learn in three days and perform? We don't have a rehearsal, but you, can you just learn it and come to the concert?" And one of the arias was the Vivaldi aria, and I'm not a coloratura, but it was like the Vivaldi sort of middle voice. But I I almost died learning it because I also had an infant in my lap while I was trying to practice. <laughs> wow. But that's how I got a job. So you've got to be ready for that as well. Yeah. That's right. That's right. But I just want to say one last thing about chorus positions. If you that is one of the really wonderful places to be if you are that kind of a person that you want to learn a lot of music, you want to be on stage, but you can't be in chorus. In Germany it's a really great position to have because you have stability yeah. benefit i mean really fine pay and you're in the theater i mean it's really it, it's not to be looked down upon i would say mm. it's a way Some, to be surrounded by music learning music all the time no but it's a full-time it's a full-time full job it's yeah. a full-time singing job and great health actually, benefits i mean if you want to have a normal life and be a parent like have a parent a family that is a great way to be and yeah. really a great path for people for whom this could be a right thing. So if you come to Germany, don't, you know, if that's what, if, if you don't think this is, uh, oh, in the fact, I know one girl who took a, a, a chorus job and then she got, now she's a soloist. So she sort of kept auditioning and she got to be where, to where she wanted to be. And that's rare too, position. isn't it? From what that, I understand, that is like rare. That jump. It is rare. Yeah. It is rare, but but it happens. Yep. So that's right. All right. Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you, Anya. This was this was great. Uh, any any other last minute things, Elisa, that you want to say? Or um, I don't think so. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. It's been great wonderful, to meet you. ladies. Nice to meet you nice too. Nice. Great. Okay. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for Thank having you. me. Yep. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.